There were no Supreme Court arguments this week, but there was plenty of Supreme Court news. Welcome to The Term, a podcast by Law360 to keep you up to speed about the nation's top court and the justices that preside there. I'm Jimmy Hoover. I cover the Supreme Court for Law360 here in Washington, and joining me now from our New York studio is co-host and Law360 editor-at-large, Natalie Rodriguez. Welcome, Natalie. Hey, Jimmy. Yes, lots of news this week. Justices Brett Kavanaugh and Elena Kagan both had some headline-grabbing public comments, which we'll tell you all about. We're also going to talk about the court's decision to take up a high-profile copyright case involving Google and Oracle, as well as its decision to put the brakes on the House's request for Trump's tax returns. Last, since we'll be off next week for Thanksgiving, we're going to give you a little preview of December's first week of arguments. It's a lot to get into, so why don't we just dive right in. Jimmy, you got to be in the crowd for Justice Kavanaugh's big appearance last week. Can you tell us all about it? Yeah, Justice Kavanaugh appeared at the Federalist Society's annual dinner in Washington, D.C. on Thursday night um, to give a headlining speech. It was his you know, first major public appearance since his bruising confirmation last fall, and it was definitely well attended by members of the press who were eager to see what Justice Kavanaugh had to say. Now, wasn't he invited last year for the same dinner? Yeah, so he declined to come last year. It was coming off the heels of his Senate battle. In fact, it was essentially like, you know, a couple months um, after the you know nationally televised Senate hearing in which an, you know a very angry and emotional Kavanaugh denounced the allegations from Christine Blasey Ford about sexual assault that allegedly took place in the early 80s. And so he kind of laid low, attended the event last year, but didn't actually give any speech. So this year was different. He obviously accepted the invitation. And you know I think everyone was curious to hear, about the tone that he struck. I mean, these were this was a speech among his conservative friends in the Federalist Society, which is a you know a right-leaning conservative legal network that has played such an instrumental role in reshaping the federal bench under President Trump. You know, putting a lot of its members onto the bench, um, and so you know we were eager to see if you know Justice Kavanaugh. The Senate, uh, the, the Justice Kavanaugh that we saw in that you know Senate hearing um, would appear um, at Thursday's event, or whether he would strike more of a conciliatory tone. So, what Kavanaugh did we get? <laughs> well, I would say certainly it wasn't the very um, angry and bitter Kavanaugh that we saw in the Senate. Um, in fact, he took he struck kind of a gracious, lighthearted tone. He went on to thank a lot of his allies who had helped him through his. Um, you know, his confirmation battle. Interestingly enough, he, he went beyond just the the retinue of, you know, conservative backers that he had from, you know, White House counsel Don McGahn and others in his corner. But to also, you know, you know, shout out his new colleagues, including the liberal ones on the Supreme Court, calling Justice Ginsburg, for instance, an inspiration and, you know, speaking highly of her for having welcomed him um, on on the bench. Interestingly enough, he didn't mention President Trump. <laughs> you know, he did mention his time in the Bush White House and, you know, some of the lessons he learned there. But no, Trump's name did not come up. Um, kind but of he a did glaring omission, huh? He, I, you know, I didn't realize it until a, a few hours after the after the event. And I was just thinking about it. And I'm saying, yeah. That was kind of an interesting <laughs> omission. But uh, yeah, he like I said, he was lighthearted. He cracked a lot of jokes. Um, I'll just run through a couple here. <laughs> he talks about Kagan's uh, reflection upon about what his replacement of Justice Anthony Kennedy has meant to the Supreme Court's essentially water cooler talk. And she says it's a significant increase in sports talk and a major decrease in Shakespeare analysis. Oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So... 
you know, depending on, you know, what your audience is like, that's either a good thing or a bad thing. But if you've ever heard Justice Kennedy speak, that probably doesn't come as a surprise. I'd, but probably, of course, I'd uh, probably gear more towards the, the Shakespeare rather than the sports <laughs> <stuff> Right. <laughs> well, Justice Kavanaugh has a pithy one-liner about that. And he says, well, what can I say? To thine own self be true. <laughs> so that one, uh, you know, that, that one landed pretty well in, in the in the conservative audience there. Um he he also choked up talking about his daughter Liza's you know reaction during the confirmation process. But after he collects himself, he kind of pays uh, an homage to Matt Damon's parody of him during uh, an episode of Saturday Night Live, and says Matt Damon would have made it through this. <laughs> so yeah, there were some funny moments, but otherwise it wasn't uh, the most newsworthy appearance. But um, he wasn't the only member of the Supreme Court to have given uh, some remarks that caught some people's attention in recent days. Natalie, um, you were paying attention to Justice Kagan's appearance at George Mason University recently, right? What did she have to say? Yeah, on Monday, uh, she was uh, in this conversation at the university, and she took a bit of a public dig at the court's new two-minute rule. So some of our listeners might remember us talking about this a few weeks ago. The court has this new rule giving lawyers two minutes to speak during oral arguments before justice can interrupt them or at least you know that's the goal right and Sonia Sotomayor was like the first to break that rule a few (laughs) weeks ago it was kind of a funny moment during oral arguments when she caught herself and eventually said sorry and allowed the the the, uh, advocate to continue but they're clearly still getting used to it yeah I think I I think Justice Sotomayor has kind of uh, been shown to be chomping at the bit to get in there right right after the two minutes and and it seems like Justice Kagan is not necessarily a fan of the rule either Um, you know she basically said it's this luxury um, and she talked about how when she was part of the bar, uh, you were lucky to get a sentence in before being interrupted. Uh, we actually have a clip of what she said about her first argument before the court, how it went, and, and why she thinks justices should be able to butt in a little earlier than, than just two minutes. My first argument? Yes, as a SG, which as was SG. your first argument on any uh, appeals court, is that correct? Uh, that's correct. Yeah. Uh, and it was in an important case. It was the re-argument of Citizens United. And I knew that that was, it was, it was, it was a pretty important case. Yeah. Right? And um, uh, I got one sentence out. Yeah. Once, and then Justice, I was very nervous. You know, it was my first argument, right. and I was very nervous. And uh, I got this one sentence out, and then Justice Scalia sort of leaned over the bench in this way that he had, and he said, "Wait, wait." Wait, wait, just like that. And then he told me that this one sentence that I had managed to utter, which seemed to me a pretty anodyne, not very consequential first sentence, was completely wrong. <laughs> but it was kind of great. It was, I, I actually didn't mind it at all. In fact, I sort of preferred it. I, sometimes this year I've been watching these people try to fill up two minutes of time without being interrupted and thinking, we should just do them a favor and interrupt them. Because some, sometimes it is doing people a favor. It's like it just gets you in the game right away. It gives you something to respond to. Yeah, so I'm wondering if we'll see more attorneys giving up their extra time after hearing this. Uh, Jimmy, didn't at least one attorney earlier this term open up the floor to the justices before his time was up? Yeah, absolutely. So most uh, you know advocates that I've seen that have appeared before the court under this new two-minute rule have appreciated the opportunity to shape the case in the way that they want and put their best foot forward. But yeah, you, you mentioned one. Um, it was Morgan Chu of Ireland Manella who was arguing a um, an intellectual property case earlier this term. And I, I noticed that he essentially welcomed questions from the bench long before his two minutes were up. And as I was reporting a, like a story about the rule, I, I called him up and, you know, we talked about it. And he said, you know, oral arguments are not 
about the presentation of the uh, advocates. They're about the questions from the bench. And, you know, if we're going to put our best foot forward, you do that in the briefs. But the argument time is really about hearing from the justices themselves. So you're right. Maybe we will see more uh, taking his approach after hearing Justice Kagan's reaction, um, which doesn't seem to be a very favorable one. Yeah, I'm looking forward to seeing uh, what happens in some of the upcoming arguments with that. Uh, Speaking of arguments, uh, Jimmy, you had an update on, on the docket, right? That's right. On Friday, the Supreme Court agreed to hear a multi-billion dollar copyright battle between Google and Oracle in a case called, well, Google versus Oracle. I love it when case titles are that simple, but I'm assuming the case details are not so simple. Well, it's Oracle sued Google nine years ago, claiming that it infringed its copyrights for Java software when it built the Android platform. Uh, Oracle won in the lower court, and now Google's appealing that ruling to the Supreme Court. Um, So the stakes are even bigger than the $10 billion that Oracle is seeking from Google in this case. It's really about these little bits of code that uh, developers use in the development of software and whether those can be copyrighted and in turn whether people can sue you know, other developers for infringing those copyrights. So this is definitely one that uh, the software industry is going to have a close eye on. Uh, In more big news this week, the court stepped into a controversial battle over Trump's business records. In a brief order filed Monday, the justices put the brakes on a subpoena from a House congressional committee that was seeking eight years' worth of President Donald Trump's business records from his longtime accounting firm, Mazars. This came after the D.C. Circuit had upheld the subpoena in an 8-3 decision. Trump's attorneys then filed an emergency application for the stay. The Supreme Court granted that stay until the House committee could file a response, which it did actually today. That's right. The House committee just filed a brief with the Supreme Court asking them to reject the stay. But what I found interesting was that uh, the committee also kind of lit a fire under the Supreme Court and expressed that this is a really time-sensitive matter. So if the court is interested in taking up this appeal, it wants to do so this term because it wants to get this subpoena enforced and the legality around it settled. Exactly. And the House committee's response did start another clock, basically, for the Supreme Court justices to decide whether to keep the stay or not or what they're going to do with the case. Um, And the high court could rule on this as soon as tomorrow. So we'll be on the lookout and hopefully we can update you with some more news on that next time we're on. Absolutely. And we'll also be on the lookout for a big gun case that's going to be argued when the justices come back for the start of the December term on Monday, December 2nd. So this is going to be the first case that they argue during this two-week session, um, you know, right after the Thanksgiving break. So the case is called New York State Rifle and Pistol Association versus New York City. And I'm just going to give a, a quick rundown of it. Uh, you know, on the surface, this is a, it's a Second Amendment case. You know, there's a gun group challenging New York City firearm restrictions. Uh, the restrictions are in New York City that you can only legally own a handgun if you have a license, and that's a pretty rigorous process. But at the time of the appeal, there was an even stricter rule in place for those that did have licenses. They could only transport their guns to one of seven shooting ranges within the city. So even if you had a license and you went through all the hoopla to get it, the gun groups say, it doesn't do you much good because you can only keep it in your home or go to these designated shooting ranges. It's there's just so much restrictions around gun ownership that it's you know it, it rises to the level of violating the Second Amendment. Well, you said it's a Second Amendment case on the surface, so I assume it's a, a bit more complicated than that. Indeed, it is. So there's a wrinkle in the case, and that's that uh, after the Supreme Court agreed to hear the gun groups' appeal, you know, challenging these transportation restrictions. 
the city actually amended the regulation. Basically, what happened was the Supreme Court took up the case, and the city sees you know this negative <laughs> Second Amendment ruling on the horizon. And so what they do is they change the rules. And they say that, okay, we're going to relax these rules and allow licensed gun owners to bring their guns to additional locations, such as second homes or shooting ranges outside the city. And then they filed... Um, you know, a, a brief at the Supreme Court saying that the case is moot. And that's, you know, the legal word for when there's not a live controversy anymore and the court doesn't have any business weighing in on the case. So they can avoid a bad ruling, right? Towards it, Exactly. And that's kind of what the gun group um, is accusing the city. And I think most reasonable observers see as the city's course of action here. It's, you know, we have a conservative majority on the court that could potentially have a big, you know, precedent setting Second Amendment ruling. And so they're trying to avoid that by artificially mooting the case. So they aren't taking to this idea that the Supreme Court should somehow dismiss the case and go about their business. Uh, the gun group that petitioned and is appealing, they still want the court to weigh in. And they actually say that these new regulations that allow the gun owners to take their guns to additional locations, they say that, you know, it's it's not good enough. This is a miserly accommodation to borrow, you know, the phrase from their briefs. And so they really want the Supreme Court, like I said, to uh, rule on the new regulations and hold that uh, the, the, the city has no business under the Second Amendment restricting the transportation of, you know, legally obtained firearms in this way. I wonder how much that mootness uh, issue is going to take up uh, oral arguments in December. Uh, so I guess we'll I, see. <laughs> I suppose it'll probably be a pretty big part of oral arguments um, as the, I imagine the liberal justices will probably want to avoid, like I said, that precedent setting Second Amendment ruling that expands upon the court's famous, you know, 2008 ruling in D.C. versus Heller. But yeah, a lot to look forward to. And that's just a, a quick rundown for you what to expect when we come back and record in December. I feel like we packed a lot in today. Um, I guess it's only right since, as you mentioned, we'll be out next week uh, for the Thanksgiving break. I I think that's uh, it for us today, right, Jimmy? Yep, that's it. And thanks, everyone, for tuning in. We'd like to thank our producers and editors, Stephen Trader and Danielle Smith, our executive producer, Amber McKinney, and our contributing reporters this week, James Nani and Bill Donahue. Music for the show comes from Slenderbeats. For more information about all the high court action, please go to law360.com slash the term. You can also find us on Apple Podcasts or Google Play. Just search Law360 and the term. Thanks for listening. We'll be back in December.